Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So, Jed, I don't think you're going to like where I'm about to start this interview. <laughs> okay. Do you feel a little guilty? for helping bring down President Biden's student loan forgiveness program? Oh, not at all. Really? Not, oh, um, not at all because I don't mean to say I told you so, but Mary, I told y'all so. Jed Sugarman is a law professor at Boston University. And as you can tell, he was not surprised by the big Supreme Court decision last week the one that upended the president's student debt relief plan. In fact, this outcome, he wanted it. Sort of. Allow me to explain. While most progressives interested in forgiving student debt spent the last year saying the president had every right to magic away billions of dollars of loans, Jed saw this plan and thought, this will never work. That's because of Biden's reasoning here. The administration said COVID was a national emergency, and a national emergency meant the Secretary of Education could waive or modify any statutory or regulatory provision, including those dealing with loan repayments. This is all laid out in a 9-11-era law, known as the HEROES Act. It's the same justification President Trump used to pause loan repayments back in 2020. But Jed, he couldn't help but wonder, COVID? Is it really still an emergency? I know you didn't make this decision from the Supreme Court, but you did provide some ammunition for them in the form of an amicus brief, which you filed, that basically said the student debt forgiveness program, it's an example of executive overreach, Biden taking too big of a swing. Is that fair? Oh, that is what I wrote. And I was using this as an opportunity to say, hey, conservatives and progressives, we can agree that there is a danger of uh, presidents abusing emergency powers. Let's have a narrow ruling on this case. That was an alternative, not ammunition. The thing is, Jed's amicus brief was kind of ammunition. At oral arguments, Justice Brett Kavanaugh cited it from the bench. But Jed says the conservative justices only seemed to focus on half of what he had to say. Because if the administration had moved a bit more slowly, justified what they were doing with a different law, or left the whole national emergency out of things, that would have been fine. This was an opportunity to have a consensus across the court for a a limited opinion in this case for that kind of good faith governance. Did anyone ever hear you say that and say you're naive? (laughs) (laughs) You know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yes. We all know what happened next. Tonight, the Supreme Court dealing a major defeat to President Biden, striking down his plan to erase more than $400 billion in federal student loan debt. Chief Justice John Roberts in a 6-3 decision, writing for the conservative majority that federal law provides no authorization for the administration to wipe out so much debt. 
the question Frankly, this was my worry from the beginning, which was that the Roberts court would use this to have a sweeping decision against policymaking across the board. Who should Americans who are concerned about student debt relief and disappointed in this decision, who should they be mad at right now? <sighs> I mean, they should be mad first and foremost at the Roberts court for many reasons. At the same time, the Biden administration wasted a year and uh, made this issue, made this policy much harder to accomplish by setting it up in a way that didn't pass the emergency smell test. Today on the show, did the Biden administration have a hand in spiking their own student debt relief program? Jed makes the case. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Back before the Biden administration finally settled on the HEROES Act to justify its student debt relief program, there was talk of using a different law, the Higher Education Act of 1965. This law was passed as part of Lyndon Johnson's Great Society Initiative. It gives the Department of Education the power to enforce, pay, compromise, waive, or release federal loans. Jed Sugarman says the HEA would have been a more straightforward, more legally sound way to tackle student debt relief. But for the Biden administration, there was a little problem. The problem with the Higher Education Act of 1965, even though it was a much better fit for this general long-term problem of higher education finance, is that after, during the Clinton administration, Congress required something called negotiated rulemaking, which is very slow. It is, it, there's no way around taking a year to propose a rule and then have the stakeholders in a room fighting over it and needing consensus. So instead of going slowly, what did the Biden administration decide to do instead? So it, try, it decided to go fast but weak. Instead of using the stronger but slower Higher Education Act, they decided to use the faster but weaker, legally weaker, HEROES Act of, of 2003, a post-9-11 emergency provision on student debt. And you say it's weaker because it basically involves the executive branch saying there's a national emergency, therefore we need to lift the debt on all of these people and it's just basically a big move for the executive branch to make, correct? Either one's a big move. And I, I don't have any problem with Congress delegating power to the executive branch in open-ended ways. The problem is when the policy doesn't actually fit the emergency. The HEROES Act, both in its text and in its context, was about being in the middle of an emergency. It's not, I, I don't think it has to be just about a military situation, but the text of the HEROES Act post 9-11 talked a lot about active duty and active service 
And the problem is that the Biden administration's purposes, they were part of a long-term non-emergency set of goals. It didn't pass the smell test that the student debt waiver was actually about being in the middle of a COVID emergency. There were also these rules about who would be eligible for debt relief and how. Like you had to be making a certain amount of money. It was only up to a certain amount of debt. Was the administration prepared to implement those rules right away when they announced this plan? Well, there had to be a process of some paperwork. It wasn't like they needed full hearings, but they had to, under the HEROES Act, they needed a couple months between the announcing it and implementing it. They took three months to formulate a rule about means testing. And then it would have worked, seems like it would have worked fairly efficiently for for applicants to send in a tax return and show that they were under that income threshold and then the debt would be waived. But the thing that was always hanging over the, this this uh, policy was the fact that the conservative courts would be waiting to in, enjoin it and then strike it down on the basis of not fitting the HEROES Act. Yeah. Almost immediately after the plan came out, you wrote this article titled Biden's Student Debt Rescue Plan is a Legal Mess. And you Mary, talked can about you read the subtitle, please. <laughs> Give me the subtitle, Jed. The good news is there's still time to fix it. <laughs> so in your perfect world, the administration would have said, OK, we, we released this plan for student debt relief and we said it was going to be all about the HEROES Act. But actually, we're going to change that up. We're going to make it about the Higher Education Act and we're going to initiate this rules process, which will take a little time, but it will be a firmer place to stand. That's explicitly what I was calling for in that essay. They had time then. I mean, Mary, part of what the story is, is they wanted to announce the policy in the fall of 2022 in time for the midterm election. And they could have done the same thing, announcing the start of this program in the fall of 2022. They couldn't have finalized it, but at least they could have announced it on a stronger basis. Then by about about now, Mary, uh, like July of 2023, the policy would have gone through negotiated rulemaking. Even if that panel of stakeholders couldn't have reached consensus or they reached a, a, a smaller proposal, there's a provision in, in the process that allows the Secretary of Education to reject what the consensus was and adopt a different rule as long as they gave them that year to, to work on it. Oh, so the executive branch could have maintained its control over this. That's my reading of the statute, is that as long as they gave a year of negotiated rulemaking, the secretary could have still adopted a different and broader rule. It gets complicated, but that certainly was in the cards. And then there would have been a stronger statutory basis for the program that would have been announced now. We don't know if that alternative universe would have happened, but it certainly had a better chance of working, obviously, with the benefit of hindsight. I'm wondering, do you think the Biden administration took the threat of the Supreme Court seriously enough? You know, frankly, Mary, if I'm being a little cynical here, I think maybe they took it so seriously that it was part of their own political game plan. Like they were building this to fail. I think it's not outside the realm of possibilities that the Biden administration sort of looked at looked at it as a win-win. Either they would get the program through the Roberts Court and they would have student debt relief, or the Roberts Court would strike it down and they could blame the Roberts Court. Wow. I mean, I do think that's really cynical, but it's hard not to have some version of that feeling 
just by looking at John Roberts' opinion on student debt relief and what he said, because some of the most damning parts of it involve him quoting Democrats themselves, whether it's the president saying the national health emergency is over or Nancy Pelosi in a press conference in 2021 saying people think the president of the United States has the power to forgive debt, but he does not. He can postpone, he can delay, but he can't remove it. And you listen to that and you just think like, huh, it doesn't seem like Democrats have been committed to this plan for all that long. Exactly. I mean, Nancy Pelosi herself said this has to go through Congress. The existing statutes don't do it. Now, that could have been strategy where she's saying, hey, in case you want to punt this to the administration, no, Democrats, we have to do this. But there were there were plenty of you're exactly right. There were both there were Democrats saying lots of things about how this had to go through Congress and how the emergency was over. In fact, you know, there was another damning point that I don't think was in the opinion where President Biden says sometime around March, he says, we're going to extend the national emergency for COVID because we still have stuff to do. That's not about the emergency. That's about we still have stuff to do. Never let a crisis go to waste. So I guess, you know, maybe I'm being cynical or maybe it was actually the Biden administration that was being cynical. Some have argued that President Biden, if he was going to do student debt relief this way, should have moved faster, like just lifted student debt on everyone. No means testing. No, like you have to make this amount of money and blah, 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 blah. Just do it. And that wouldn't have given... Republican advocates the time to do what they did here, which is like gin up some cases and like rush them to the Supreme Court. I get the sense you probably disagree with that, but I'm curious your take. Well, I, I don't know how procedurally that could have bypassed the uh, the legal process uh, because it was very it was immediate after the program was announced. Right? There would have to be some step that would have waived debt. Um, so even if it had just been by fiat. Um, before that debt, I mean, you could announce a, an intent to waive it, but there still has to be a, a process to actually waive it. And we saw that the plaintiffs stepped forward very quickly and courts enjoined the Biden administration. So there really was no way to snap fingers and, and waive debt immediately. And that's a good thing, Mary. I mean, this is my point about the history of the abuse of executive power. When the shoe is on one foot, when one ox is being gored, when I like the policy, I'd love it to be fast. Um, but when we don't like the policy, such as building a stupid wall or separating families at the border or banning Muslims from the country for racist and religiously discriminatory purposes, it's good that plaintiffs can get into court and block those things. If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. I think that's my main message to the supporters of the Biden administration and the waiver process is be careful what you wish for. After the break, what's the path forward for student debt relief? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So right after the Supreme Court released its opinion toppling Biden's student debt plan, the president had this press conference where he started to lay out what he might do now. Is it clear what he does now? I think there have to have to be three steps, and I'm clear about one step, that they're going to try and use the Higher Education Act of 1965. I support that because I think that is the right reading. This is your original plan. Like, let's make some rules on a bipartisan basis and move forward. And at the same time, whether or not this happened because they started with the wrong statute, the Roberts Court has made it clear that the Higher Education Act is insufficient for this program. It doesn't specify this kind of waiver. In fact, on page 17 of the Roberts majority, they described the Higher Education Act's provisions as being limited. That was not an accident. They were firing a shot across the bow, I think, foreseeing that the the Biden administration would now try the Higher Education Act. So I think it's the right thing to do because it's the right read of the law and the Roberts court would strike that down, too. So you're saying this is like a Quixote-esque quest on Biden's part to say, "Okay, we're going to redo this, but you're worried it won't matter. Well, but 90 years ago, the the Roosevelt administration during the New Deal ran up against an ideologically right wing court and struck down New Deal statutes. And instead of just packing it up and going home the New Deal Democrats went back to the drawing board and passed new statutes. This is a little bit like that. And going back to the drawing board and issuing a new waiver, a new executive program, even if it might get struck down, part of the point is, hey, we're going to keep chat. We're not going to just surrender to whatever the kind of imperial judiciary that Roberts and the supermajority are constructing. We want to challenge it. And that will highlight the issue. Didn't The president back then also threatened the Supreme Court, like talk explicitly about how the Supreme Court shouldn't be functioning the way it was. Well, now we're talking, Mary. What what next? How about court expansion? I mean, this entire term, the framing of this term as Roberts moderating the court is nonsense, whether it was the affirmative action decision or the student debt decision or the plaintiff's fictional claim on the LGBT rights versus religious accommodation, one decision after the other, they were very ideologically conservative. That should be what the, what Biden and Democrats run on um, is, is court reform. It's just too important. And, and if not now, when? But everything you're talking about now is really long-term sounding. Like, so we're talking about Higher Education Act trying to kind of resuscitate the process of of getting debt relief in that way. But you're saying that's kind of maybe a fool's errand, but you got to try because the court has signaled it might strike it down. You're saying court reform is like the big swing, like let's try to pressure the court in other ways. If I'm a student debtor, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, hey, like what about me? The I think the answer is what happens in a democracy is you have is, is that all of us have to form uh, coalitions 
and fight this out politically. Unfortunately, the Democrats did not have enough votes for passing a statute that would have addressed this, and, the de- and Democrats hadn't passed these measures in the past when they had majorities. There are some good reasons why, when Democrats had, had large majorities, majorities in Congress under Obama, they focused on dealing with the economic crisis and passing the Affordable Care Act. Um, with Biden's majorities, they focused on the Build Back Better slash Inflation Reduction Act. Um, that, nevertheless, you know, part of the reason why it was such a struggle to pass those statutes was because there were such a slim majority of Democrats and these issues were not as central to the, go- the governing coalition. The answer has to be the democratic process. Oof. But I think you're telling student debtors you're going to be left behind for now. Uh, they, uh, I, I, I don't think that's me telling them that. Well, I guess it is. <laughs> yes, I'm telling them that, but I, because I'm telling them this is what the Roberts Court has already done. The fundamental problem right now is the Roberts Court supermajority that is loading the dice and stacking the deck against all kinds of measures that help debtors of all kinds. This is part of a democratic process and a constitutional democracy that, well, I mean, the Higher Education Act should be the basis for giving them relief. The problem is that the Roberts Court is going to stand in that way, and they just said so last week. The Biden administration has said they're going to try to have some sort of gentle restart of the student loan repayment process. What will that look like? Well, one part of that process could include using some existing regulations, sometimes called the settlement process, where if someone owes debt, and this is not just about student debt, there are several provisions about settling debt and waiving debt if there is hardship and an unlikelihood of being able to collect upon it. Those, it would be case by case, it would be slow, Mary, and it would also depend upon winning the 2024 election. Why? Because it's a case by case process. And even if it wasn't about having full blown hearings, you'd still have to have a case by case application for the Biden administration to review that debtor's circumstances and say, yes, there's hardship here. We would have a hard time collecting that debt and they could waive it. There's a lot more discretion in that process. So this was, I think, what I uh, what would go back and say is, is step three of what the Biden administration should do, right? Step one is the Higher Education Act of 1965 and that long process that would take a year. Step two is running on this issue in 2024. But in the interim, this is step three, is using these existing regulations on a settlement process to invite student debtors to show the education department that repaying these debts would be a hardship, that it would be too costly to try and enforce these debts, and the Biden administration case by case using those existing regulations could possibly waive slash settle those debts on a case by case basis. Some more progressive members of the Democratic caucus are saying Biden needs to push harder here, like basically pausing interest and collections on student debt until the debt is eventually forgiven. Does the president have the power to do that? That now becomes more questionable after this decision by the Roberts court. If they had more narrowly announced that they were going to continue to, you know, continue to waive interest on the basis of the HEROES Act. Keep in mind the HEROES Act of 2003 
use the word modify, and it is closer to a modification to suspend interest than it is to waive the debt entirely. So I don't, I don't know what the courts would have done it, but it, that it wouldn't have required a rulemaking on it uh, on this basis. Um, and if that's where they started, it would have had a better chance. But now with all of the attention on this policy, if they tried that now, I'd say they, they basically shot themselves in one foot uh, when they walked into court to try that again. I wonder what this ruling from the Supreme Court says about big swings from President Biden or anyone in the executive branch and what's possible there anymore. Like looking beyond student debt, how does the student debt ruling change how the executives function? That's the headline, or that should be the headline, Mary. This, the Roberts court could have reached across the bench to the other side and written a narrower opinion on this particular policy, on this particular statute, on this particular use of COVID and, and the use of emergencies. And instead, there, the six arch conservative justices and their supermajority announced a much more sweeping rule that's not just about a shot across the bow against using the Higher Education Act or trying another kind of student debt waiver. It's a shot across the bow against any big swings. You're exactly right. Anything major now has to be specified by Congress. And that's, A, not how Congress has worked for the last two centuries. B, there's not, there's no strong evidence as a matter of history or originalism that the founders didn't want Congress to delegate questions with open-endedness. This is not originalism. This is ideology. The Roberts majority opinion has very little historical evidence to support it, except for some ideological assumptions about what, how Congress operates or what Congress is supposed to do. Jed, I'm really grateful for your time and for your work here. Thanks for coming on the show. Mary, thanks for having me, and thanks for giving me a full chance to explain what I was doing <laughs> with these essays and amicus briefs. I appreciate it. Jed Sugarman is a professor of law at Boston University. And that's our show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support our work is to join our membership program. It is known as Slate Plus, and you can find out more at slate.com slash whatnextplus. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme, with a little help this week from Jared Downing. Thanks, Jared. We are led by Alicia Montgomery, also Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. I'm handing things off to Lizzie O'Leary and the What Next TBD crew. But I'll be back in this feed bright and early on Monday. Catch you then. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.